2: Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is
3: there. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kiwi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast.
2: We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our
3: living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hey, team. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. On this episode, Jack Posobic. Jack Posobiec. How do we even describe the man known and beloved by so many as Poso? He is a senior editor at humanevents.com, a veteran Navy intel officer, a man who loves his Catholicism and his Polishness, and uh, also a podcast host and uh, general man about town.
1: Mr. Mister Pesoba, good to have you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate the intro. And the only thing I would add is that I, I, am a, I am but a humble purveyor of cheap and yet cheap, affordable, and yet quality rest to all those travelers weary from scrolling the internets. Yes, I am your humble merchant.
0: Wow, he's he's doing a, he's doing a pillow poso right now. Look at this pillow poso. I know, I know, I know the moves. I know all the moves. Poso. You know who else knows learned the moves? From the, I learned days? it from you. <laughs> you know who else knows the moves these days? Chairman Xi and Putin. They're buddying oh, yeah. up. Russia, China. Oh, yeah. This, if we were trying to create in a lab, the worst national security scenario over the long term for the U.S. It feels to me like a Russia-China alliance, a real one, not just sort of a general economic, oh, we're going to be buddies. A real one is pretty scary. What do you think?
1: Well, so when you look at it in terms of just uh, just basic grand strategy, real politic, you have to understand that in the world as currently constituted, there are essentially three great powers. There's China, Russia, and the United States. Now, in in the Cold War it was china china the soviet union and the united states and this is what and that it was the cold war cold war cold war china goes communist in 1949 then in the 1970s there's all these secret meetings the secret travels of kissinger and then of course the very public travel of nixon to china that breaks up russia china that brings china into the us's orbit and that sets the stage for the eventual downfall of the Soviet Union, as uh, you know, the Austrians used to say, in a world of three be two. And so what we've done essentially is the opposite of that. We've decided to throw all that grand strategy out the window, we've decided to throw common sense out of the window, and decide that in a world of three great powers, that we were going to drive both of them into each other's arms at the same time. Because you, you, when you consider it from From the standpoint of any U.S. diplomat, your goal should always be to try to isolate Russia and then isolate China so that they specifically do not ever do what just happened this week.
0: What do you think about the Biden administration policy in Ukraine up to this point?
1: Well, so I think what they've done essentially, and not just in Ukraine, but also in their this idea of their interactions with Russia. Remember, complete refusal of negotiations, complete refusal to have uh, one-on-one talks. It seems like they're not even phone calls going on between, uh, between the Kremlin and the White House right now. you Think of Reagan, right? Reagan would be meeting with Soviet leaders even during the invasion of Afghanistan. So he always kept that door open and had this sort of two-track policy where, okay, you can point out that, that the United States was certainly funding uh, elements of the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, but also he was still meeting with Soviet leaders. He was still opening up this diplomatic side. Now we've decided to completely eschew any diplomatic negotiations whatsoever. You've got people that are just absolute... Radicals like Victoria Newland and Tony Blinken, who just does whatever she says. I mean, he's basically her clerk at the end of the day. Wow. And who say that um, Russia has to give back Crimea and the Donbass and the Kremlin needs to be reduced to ash, and all of the, you know, Putin has to step down and all this stuff. That's, I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. It's literally just not going to happen. And then they've completely decided to forget about having any strategy other than. Simply thinking that it's it's the night it's 1992 again, and the United States can just dominate the world and tell everybody what they want, like we did in the in the Gulf War, and we did during this, you know, Pax Americana, the end of history that Fukuyama told us about, the peace dividend, and unfortunately, we're not there anymore. And you can talk about the millions of reasons why the rise of China, the relative decrease in American influence, etc. The the Overabundance of US power trying to fill the world with NATO, like uh, our adventures in Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, the list goes on. But essentially, the rest of the world has gotten to the point where they're kind of sick of it and they're kind of sick of us. And they realize that what China has offered now, what China's offering along with BRICS, and keep in mind that India and Brazil are also going along with this. They're quietly right now, but they're also going along in South Africa as well. They don't really have a choice. Uh, Russia and China are saying we're offering an alternate to the Western system, not just the American system, but the Western system writ large. That includes Europe, the World Economic Forum, et cetera, where they say, we don't care what your your values are. We don't care if you're dictators. We don't care who you execute on a regular basis. We just want access to resources. We want your basing rights. We want portage. We want to be able to sell our products in your country, and we want to make sure that all your rare earth minerals are coming to us. And you look, the Saudis and the Iranians, guess what? The Sunni and the Shia, Buck, have just signed a deal at the behest of Beijing. Uh, the Turks and the Syrians are signing a deal now for the first time in something like eight years, probably a decade, actually, 10 years, where we've seen this, um, you know, the, uh, essentially Erdogan wanted to slide out of there. Now they're signing a deal. Israel is just kind of forgotten about. Israel, the Abraham Accords are just completely gone. Um, the, the Yemenis and the Houthis, it looks like that's actually starting to quiet down. Uh, the Egyptians are getting involved, we're hearing, um, all throughout Africa, they're meeting with, with China and Russia, and even in South America as well. So we've seen this with, um, with uh, uh, Obrador in Mexico and, and also in Brazil with their new leader, so with Lula. And so the United States really has to understand what's happening here. Plus, what's interesting to me is to look at the role of Russia in this, because we forced Russia into this alliance with China. But also russia's been forced to be there as the junior partner because they no no longer have access to western capital markets they no longer have access obviously to europe to sell their gas because obviously that pipeline is now resting at the bottom of the baltic sea i wonder who put it there Um, and they've basically severed their entire ties with the west and so what you're seeing now is this massive balance of economic, geopolitical, and military power that is shifting to this new Eastern alliance. And there's an obvious fault line right there for Russia, where we could, as U.S. diplomats, you could easily say, do you really want to be the junior partner to China? Do you really want to be subservient to Beijing? Because we could offer you an off-ramp if we can at least get these things shut down in Ukraine. But of course, no one in in the U.S. is actually thinking that way. What do
0: you think a sensible end to the war in Ukraine would look like. What what would have to get done for us to be at that place?
1: Well, I think a sensible end is to understand that um, and I I say this with my Navy Intel uh, hat on, that um clearly Crimea is a red line for the Russians, for Putin. Um there it's the the home port of their Black Sea fleet. It's their main base, uh Sevastopol, they're not going to give that up. As far as specific territory in the Donbass or this land bridge that they've built, I feel like that's negotiable. Um, obviously a ceasefire would be the first thing, the armistice to be signed. And we're also, by the way, we're hearing noise out of the Kremlin saying that they want that. And remember, it's the Biden administration right now that's rejecting it. They're saying, oh, this would be peace on Russia's terms. This would be co-opting what they've done. This would be, uh, uh, what, do, what do they say? Parroting Russian propaganda, uh, freezing the gains in. Well, guess what? The, you know, The situation on the ground is the situation on the ground. But essentially what the U.S. would have to do is more than likely drop uh, NATO membership for ukraine this this proposal that's obviously their biggest red line for russia that's why they win and they keep saying it over and over and but number two, there would more than likely be some kind of international and this is what China wants by the way as well they've also agreed to this they want some kind of international peace deal for Whatever's left of Ukraine right now, and then in addition, hammer out what exactly the economic agreement is going to be between Ukraine and Europe. So there's going to be one. May, maybe it's EU membership or some kind of you know um, you know observer status in the EU, where they get access to Schengen that type of thing, but not necessarily full NATO membership without NATO bases inside European borders. Which of course is very very upsetting to the Kremlin. I feel like all of that could be hammered out rather than us getting into, you know, I don't know, I just watched uh, the uh, All Quiet on the Western Flint, Front the other day. Very and, good movie. Uh, fantastic, so fantastic, and I've yeah. read the book years ago. But they, they point out that for four years, those trenches, you know, you had millions of people were being killed over, you know, a football field's worth of territory uh, in some cases, or a couple of football fields. You know, We could save ourselves a lot of the trouble and save a lot of lives a lot of people's sons and daughters and god forbid everyone else is caught up in this conflict by just skipping to the end right now and i think that makes sense from a moral standpoint and certainly from a united states diplomatic standpoint
0: jack i want to ask you about how this affects chinese calculations uh with regard to taiwan in just a moment and also talk to you a bit about 2024 and politics here at home but first up the recent bank failures you saw are the largest since the financial collapse back in 2008. So if you've been on the fence about buying gold and silver, now is the time to make the call. Gold and silver can be a protection for your portfolio, but can also be used as currency. And you could need it as that one day. You never know. Why not have a little gold and silver on hand just in case to protect your portfolio? Now is the time to call the Oxford Gold Group and hear what they have to say. The phone call is free. Securing your IRA or 401k with real gold and silver is a portfolio protection plan, and the Oxford Gold Group has made it as easy as one, two, three. It's just so straightforward. You just decide that you're going to go for it, and you can get precious metals sent right to your home. That's it. Now you own real precious metals like I do. Mine came from the Oxford Gold Group. Yours should, too. Call them now. Oxford Gold Group. Ask about free bonus opportunities you could be eligible for as well. Call 833-404-GOLD, 833-404-GOLD. All right, Mr. Mr. Posobik, um, tell me more about China and Taiwan and how Russia, Ukraine does or does not factor into the timeline and decision making there.
1: Well, it certainly factors in. And you have to say that with Russia or I should say with Beijing, with China, and of course, Xi Jinping is more than happy to go to Moscow to give Putin all the face that he needs, because that's what Putin needs. Right. He needs this credibility on the world stage. He needs an answer to the you know, everyone looking out there saying, okay, what's to become of Russia? It's this huge wild card. Xi Jinping goes in and gives him all the credibility in the world. What does this mean? That he's now beholden to Xi. He now owes that all to Xi Jinping. So you've got Russia on your side, the calculation of what is, because what does China need for that to fuel their massive growth? They need gas, they need oil. And guess what is directly south of those massive gas deposits in far eastern siberia is beijing it's right there and so they're built they've of course signed a deal for pipelines they're going to be building nuclear plants atomic plants they're going to be doing everything as it comes to the degree of control when when you look at taiwan VCV taiwan so taiwan so china's pursuing an interesting strategy where Russia, you could say, is pursuing the Mackinder World Island strategy for this dominance of Central Asia, this dominance of the heartland theory, whereas China, they are focusing more and more on Mahan, the influence of sea power on world history. And so Mahan focuses specifically on the strategic sea lines of communication, aka choke points. Where is China focused on in the Western Hemisphere, of course, the Panama Canal, and then we're also hearing Tierra del Fuego, which is the strait between uh, Argentina and ararca because they know that the flow of trade, the flow of the economy, uh, is determined on these choke points. Where they focused on in the Middle East, well, it's very obvious: the Suez Canal, the Strait of Hormuz, right, right between essentially the Arab Peninsula. And Iran. Now we come to Asia. That's the Strait of Malacca. So that gives you Singapore. And then what's the most other important, the last piece uh, for all of Asia, the very last strait that they would need to control, of course, is the Taiwan Strait. So this is part of China's grand strategy of building the One Belt, One Road, AKA the New Silk Road over land, that's through Central Asia to Europe, and then the Maritime Silk Road. That includes all of those choke points that I just let, outlined. So the Taiwan Strait is key to China's strategy, these maritime shipping routes, because I hear people talk about the, the issue of Taiwan and obviously the, the political history of, of it being the former government of China, the Republic of China, of all of the mainland, uh, now you know in exile on, the, on, on Taiwan Island. Uh, Beijing considers them a rogue province. They're sort of a de facto country on their own because they're self-governing. They claim uh, legitimacy over the rest of China, et cetera, et cetera. The calculus for them, though, is can they control the maritime shipping routes on the inside of the Taiwan Strait and to the outside of the Taiwan Strait? And as long as they can control those buck, I don't necessarily think that you're going to see a Chinese invasion or even a naval blockade of Taiwan, unless, of course, unless, of course, the United States eggs them on or. Uh, Taiwan moves for some kind of formal declaration of independence on their own, a declaration of independence as a as a sovereign nation. If you see those, then of course, I think you will see China first. I, I think it would be a military blockade. A naval blockade would be the most obvious uh, move by China. They've actually done it. They did it just about 12 months ago uh, when they held live fire exercises all around the island. Um, and also it would be very expensive. right? So you're talking about huge sea lift, uh, even though it's very close, you've got it, that's an amphibious assault, that's an amphibious invasion. You're talking, I mean, think of Normandy, the price of Normandy, and how hard that was even back in the 1940s for the United States to conduct. You're talking about the same exact issue against a fortified position. It's not going to be easy for them. That being said, a blockade, starve them out, uh, allow you know, not allow United States to resupply, not allow United States, weapon, US weapons to get in. That would obviously be a huge, huge win For the chinese communist party and a very easy operation for the people's liberation army navy to be able to conduct so i think that i think that right now the signals that we're seeing out of beijing seem to be that they want to go back to this this longer slower process of pushing for taiwan to be absorbed into china which is the same type of process that they were using for hong kong right up until the protests really kicked off and when those protests kicked off in 2019 that's when you saw the national security law come in from xi jinping that's when you saw the freedom leaders and democracy leaders being rounded up and of course we all know that just a few months later COVID 19 seemed to just make all those protests disappear because everyone was forced to lock down and the leaders themselves also disappeared so they would prefer very much to use that low and slow process because, of course, the Chinese plan things out in terms of generations. They're not like the U.S. where we think of uh, election cycles. They don't have election cycles, right? And Xi Jinping, of course, is firmly in control of the party. And I've heard some other you know, kind of China watchers say oh she is is threatened, he's vulnerable, no, he's really not He's taken every he took the 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 their Elon Musk essentially Jack Ma, and they locked him up for nearly half a year because he he you know went off the playbook. This is not a guy who feels threats internally. The only thing that he's going to respond to, because you look at it, he's got the United States in his pocket. He's got the World Economic Forum in his pocket. He's got Joe Biden in the White House. And now he's got Vladimir Putin, who owes him a massive favor. He's holding a lot of cards right now, Buck.
0: Uh, That's all true. Uh, Jack, I want to talk to you about 2024. Do you have your guy yet, or gal, could be, or are you waiting to see how this plays out in the primary? want to discuss that with you in, in just a moment. But first, born from the tragedy of 9-11, the the Towers Foundation has been honoring America's heroes ever since. The foundation honors fallen and severely injured heroes and their families with mortgage-free smart homes. This year alone, hundreds of Gold Star and fallen first responder families with young children and our nation's most severely injured veterans and first responders are receiving homes. More than 500 homeless veterans received housing and services last year, and more than 1,500 are receiving housing and services this year. This coming Memorial Day, all of the brave men and women lost since nine eleven in the war on terror are having their names read aloud in a Tunnel to Towers ceremony in our nation's capital. Through the Tunnel of to the Towers nine eleven institute, the Foundation is educating kids and kids in kindergarten through twelfth grade about our nation's darkest day. Join Tunnel the to Towers on its mission to do good. Please help America to never forget its greatest heroes. Join me in donating eleven dollars a month to Tunnel the to Towers at T2T.org. That's T the number two T.org. All right, Jack. Twenty twenty-four. Who are going to be the nominees? Who's going to win
1: and why? 2024. Well, I mean, I I would have said this six months ago, but I think you've really seen it this week that it it President Trump seems to be in the driver's seat. He's got a lot of gas behind him right now. Obviously, all this stuff out of New York, out of Georgia, out of D.C., these potential indictments. I think there was a miscalculation on the behalf of the Democrats and Merrick Garland, who, I, I, by the way, it's very clear that Merrick Garland is behind what's going on in Manhattan and Georgia as well. I don't know if he's offered these guys some you know, positions. Oh, Alvin Bragg, I'm going to nominate you as the assistant U.S. whatever in the DOJ after this, but you know, he's falling flat on his face. But um, it, it's, it's done the opposite because it's, what it's done is show, I think, the whole world that that trump was telling the truth about the deep state that they really were out to get him that what amanda Milius and lee smith and everybody pointed out that this plot against the president was real that there was as crazy as it sounds a conspiracy to get him out of office and now there's a uh almost a a um you know a preemptive coup going on to try to stop him from returning to office and i think the american people uh i think they're really miscalculated they there used to be a time in this country you know back in the 1990s where the media kind of set the table where media really set public opinion in this country and if there was a headline in the New York Times a headline in the Wall Street Journal it was done people just went with that and that that really you know you can talk about the Iraq war and the lead up to that where that was kind of the last hurrah of that of that era but it's not like that anymore because suddenly if they announce charges on president Trump i think people's more initial Uh, response to that is going to be, you know, something like that's BS. Why are they trying to stop this guy? Because there's so little trust in the system right now. There's so little trust in the media. There's so little trust in these institutions, certainly so little trust in the federal government, that all it does is help him and actually burnish his credentials. And so I, I, I would have said it six months ago, I'd say it now, I think, I think the nomination is Trump's. Uh, obviously, he's seeking that. I don't see anybody out there on the playing field that can really challenge him. I think that if you saw when he went to East Palestine and and met with the families there, that it it just seemed to me that he's he's got this this emotional resonance with voters, particularly in the Midwest, in the South, in the Upper Midwest. That I I don't see any other politician in America really breaking right now. I just don't.
0: And how does he stack up against? Joe Biden, I think we can pretty safely assume it will be Joe Biden running for re-election, although it's not 100%, but. Well, not
1: they, will Trump... take, uh, go ahead. they will take, they will put Biden, they will put a stick under that guy's, you know, yes. jo- uh, coat jacket and prop him I up agree. like Weekend at Bernie's if they have to. Yeah, they will. So let's
0: assume, let's assume it's Trump-Biden 2024. I would, I would assume it's Trump-Biden. How does that Biden? go?
1: I think, I think it actually goes in Trump's favor, and here's why. Because people can talk about the brashness of President Trump, but you know what? He can also point to two things that nobody else can. Four years of peace and four years of prosperity. That America was rich, the economy was booming for four years, and we weren't embarking on these new world There was no proxy war in Ukraine. Tanks weren't rolling into Kiev, these horrible images that we're seeing out of everywhere. China and Russia weren't forming these alliances together. It seemed like he was kind of keeping a lot of these things in check. And oh, by the way, radical Islam. I mean, Buck, when's the last time you even said the phrase radical Islam? He wiped them out. He completely went from 2002 to 2016. It was our lead issue in like all of politics. And now it's, it's just gone, completely wiped out in one term. And I think that because Biden's term in office has been so abysmal that things have gotten so crazy. The economy's in free fall. We have this massive bank collapse, as you just mentioned. Uh, World affairs seem like they're completely falling out of control. It's essentially you're looking at the second term of Jimmy Carter here. And I think if he frames it that way and says, look, I've got the record to beat this guy. Plus, you've got these indictments. I think he's going to win.
0: What do you think about DeSantis' chances against him in the primary?
1: You know, I think DeSantis is a strong governor. I think he's a great. I wish we had 50 Ron DeSantis's running all 50 states, to be honest. Um, I think, though, that he still he still just started his second term as governor. And I think it makes I think more people are looking for him to to put to stack those W's in the primary. And that being said, I would throw out this. I don't think he'd be successful against Trump in a primary. But and I, I've said this publicly a few times already. I do think that he would be President Trump's strongest running mate right now. When you just look at it in terms of the political process, um, who are those voters that Trump needs to win back? Who are those voters that Trump needs to make inroads in? That is the suburbs. Trump's got the base. He's got the primary on lock. But in the general, he could really be helped by somebody like a DeSantis to, to go to those voters and say, look, you know, this, this is about operations, this is about policy, this isn't about, you know, mean tweets, you know, people have issues with that. I think it's honestly something that would be his best his best possible pick, at least right now. And then, because Trump, think of it, he's term limited to just one more term. Um, so he goes in, and that sets up DeSantis essentially to have an eight-year period. So it's, it's not just four years, it's actually a 12-year You know, stretch of just absolute conservative dominance at the White House, which we have seen before if you look at Reagan Bush.
2: Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio
3: app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Be willing to help broker a discussion between Trump, Trump team, and DeSantis
1: team to see if that so would what even be a possibility. More than happy, more than happy to. Hey, they're in the same state. That that actually would be, um, interestingly enough, one of the biggest. Other than obviously all the uh, personality issues aside, that and keep in mind that that uh, Reagan and Bush back in 1980 that was another shotgun marriage that was made at the convention. There was a a bitter primary fight that was put between. Uh, George Bush Sr. and Ronald Reagan, who then went on to become his vice president and then, of course, president after him. Um, but sort of was an eight years and four years. Those would be a four years and eight years. And so it's it's not to say that it hasn't happened before, but also that uh, there is a constitutional question of them both being residents of the same state that would have to be dealt with.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because I, I see people, this is one of those things where you'll say there's a misconception that they can't be from the same state. You know, if you just look this up, And then people will say, actually, they can't be from the same state. And you sit here and you
1: say, okay, we got, we got to, everyone's going to come together and agree. As far as I can tell, it's actually never been, um, it's ever been challenged. So it is one of those things that would probably go to the Supreme Court. This is article
0: two states, the electors shall meet in their respective states and vote by vote by ballot for two persons of whom at least one shall not be an inhabitant of the state with themselves. And uh, it says here, under the original system, electors did not distinguish between candidates in the nation's top two offices. The candidate with the most votes became president. The runner-up became vice president. We all know that. The 12th Amendment, adopted in 1804 after two chaotic elections, mandated their electors cast separate ballots for president and vice president. However, the rule preventing an elector from voting for two people from his home state remained in effect under the new system. Um, but,
1: uh, you know, so which which one is it? It's very confusing. And, and obviously the way around it would be. Sounds like
2: you
1: can't. I'm reading
0: from history.com and it sounds like, wait, but then they say there are misconceptions. There's no law or yeah, regulation yeah. against a president, and vice president being from the same state. So interesting. Anyway, Which go ahead. The,
1: the easiest way around it would just be for Trump to he could easily switch his residence back to New York. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. President. There would be some more taxes, um, but it's like, well, they're already trying to what are they going to do? Try to prosecute you. Oh, wait. <laughs>
0: That's true. So what's, the, I,
1: what's the worst thing that could happen other than the tax? Yeah, what's Plus, the worst that could happen?
0: Already lost it. Lost a fair amount of money. Um, you know, from running. I mean, and, and a bunch of other. things. Yeah, I,
1: I think that's. I think that challenge is easily dealt with. I think it's dealt with. And 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 quite frankly, I think the Supreme Court looking at it, because keep in mind that the the Supreme Court that we have right now, kind of the Thomas Court, is is constituted. They're very much originalists, and they're focused on original intent when it comes to constitutional questions like this. Well, the issue there that they were trying to deal with in those initial unruly elections was that it, they weren't it was you know it came down to the second highest vote getter would be the vice president and so the issue they were dealing with was who would become president that was the reason for the rule in the first place well if you're running as a combined ticket obviously that that wouldn't be an issue anymore
0: Right. Right. I mean, here they're saying, by the way, they, they say that it's kind of the whole thing is silly. Like Cheney, for example, this is why even if it was an issue, it's not an issue to your point. I, I've actually looked at the bottom of the uh, the analysis here because <laughs> he, which you know, Cheney had been living uh, in the 2000 election. Cheney had been living and paying taxes in Texas for five years. He just changed right. his resident. He just changed his residency to Wyoming.
1: Boom. Done. Yeah, it's as simple as that. I, I don't think it would be that hard, which gets you again, gets you out of the constitutional question. But even if you brought it to the court, I, I can't imagine the court would. would are you optimistic, down because,
0: Jack? I mean, do you, do you think you think things are going to get better in the country? How, what What's what makes Jack Posobiec think that what makes Agent Poso think we're all going to be OK? I'm
1: kind of a white pilled guy on that. You know, I I, I, I do tend to think of, of myself as hopeful. I, I I pray every morning. I do a rosary every morning. Um and we do it with the family. And I actually think that when I look at, when I look around at the world and I see how crazy things are, but I also think that I have hope in the American people. And when I say that, what I mean is, you, you get to a point where things get so bad, where things get so crazy, when things get so completely out of control when the united when the when there's chinese spy balloons flying across our military bases and us uh, drones getting struck down in the black sea when we even try to take a peek at what's going on in in ukraine by the way that that is how you're supposed to deal with the drone you you shoot it out of the sky right rather, as rather than let it fly over your bases just a just a point of military strategy out there for everybody um that that people get sick of it, that I think that people know that Biden generally looks weak on the world stage. Uh, our economy is in absolute free fall. I think that this news about a potential Trump arrest was was leaked because everyone was freaking out about the banking crisis. And I think the American people realize that, you know what, there may have been some mean tweets and there may have been a bad orange man in the White House, but everyone's lives were a little bit better when when that was going on. And so, you know what? It's worth it.
0: Jack Posobiec, everybody. Jack, where can people go to follow your latest other than on Twitter where you
1: are prolific? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way too many tweets up there. The best, honestly, if you want, if you want posto in small, quick, concise, doses, Human Events Daily. We do the podcast every day. It's 25 minutes or less because when I was in the Navy, they used to tell us uh, the mark of a good briefer was to be good, be brief, be gone. And so that is our promise, our oath and our solemn vow to our listeners every day.
0: I remember in the CIA, we had to do elevator briefs all the time because they basically just prepared Precisely. us for the notion that important people were going to say, All right, get in the elevator with me. Tell me what I need to know. And I was always was like, like yeah, well, 100%. But I was always like, well, Is the elevator like, is this a skiff? Probably not. But we're supposed to pretend that all those rules, Jack, as you know, are adhered to <laughs> to the letter all the time. Uh, Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, no, no, totally. I've never had conversations like that in the P way. No, no,
0: no, no. no, Other than, uh, you know, Joe Biden, who has classified stuff hanging out next to the Corvette in his garage. Anyway, everybody, Jack Posobiec, go follow him. Go check out Human Events Daily. And Mr. Jack, great to have you. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Buck. Thank you, man. Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel to Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. Because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9/11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at t2t.org, that's t the number 2 t.org. If you are an accredited investor, US Oil and Gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit labradorenergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that has historically delivered sound returns. Learn more at
1: LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information.